You may be seated. It's my delight to welcome to the pulpit Mother, uh, Mother Heather Gormley uh, to uh, speak to us today. Uh, Heather is the rector of Tree of Life Anglican Church in South Bend, Indiana, in the Diocese of the Great Lakes in, in ACNA, so one of our uh, fellow um, uh, uh, dioceses in, in, in this uh, denomination. And um, uh, Heather and I and her husband Justice and my wife Allie all were uh, doing a study abroad program when we were in college, all from different institutions. Heather was at Wheaton College, I was at Biola, Justice was APU, and my wife was at Bethel. So we had the whole Christian college uh, you know, experience uh, uh, represented there. And so, uh, so we, met, uh, we met there and have been able to keep in touch over the years, and so uh, it's my delight. Also, Heather's worked with the Anglican Immigration Initiative. Um, uh, as part of our kind of provincial-wide uh, response and uh, team looking at issues of immigration and has run a refugee clinic, right, from... Um Immigration, immigration legal aid, aid yeah, exactly, and, um, from, from a Tree of Life. So anyway, it's my pleasure to welcome her to the pulpit today. And also, I went to Wheaton, as, as James just mentioned, and um, when I was there, I was part of St. Mark's Episcopal before everything split apart. So. Uh, I went to church with some of you, so it's really nice to be back. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. It's a time of uncertainty. All of society is shifting. Violence and the threat of war are constantly in the news. Most people are feeling both fascinated and kind of afraid of the rapid changes in technology and really everything, and wondering what it's going to mean for our culture. And that same horrible virus keeps rising up and disrupting everything over and over again. And then there's the state of the church. Constant fighting and factionalism hangs under the shadow of serious political corruption. Ordinary Christians are confused, cynical, and rapidly drifting away. Many are beginning to wonder if they are witnessing the end of Christianity in the West. What I'm describing, of course, is medieval Europe in the early 13th century. <laughs> it was a time when the world was changing faster than anyone could really comprehend, and the church was poised to become an irrelevant relic, captive to the political factions of its day. Sounds kind of familiar, right? Today we celebrate World Mission Sunday. It's a day when Anglicans all over North America reflect upon the profound call of the church to carry the gospel to every hungry human soul and far-flung corner of the globe. And yet if you're like me, the sense of internal chaos and even failure in the church here in North America makes the thought of fulfilling this mission kind of complex and fraught. How can the church in North America help spread the gospel abroad when we're not even successfully discipling the, the, the people in our midst, especially the young? Since it is primarily the young who have the flexibility of mind and the strength of body to bring the gospel across cultures and oceans, Anglicans who are passionate about missions need to be asking, what are we doing? to ensure that the next generation encounters the risen Jesus. As disheartening as it is to see lifelong Christians drifting away from the church, what really keeps me awake at night are the conversations that I have with my Gen Z children and their friends and the youth at our church. Generation Z, according to sociologists, uh, covers people who were born between 1997 
and about 2012. Raise your hand if that's you. So it's like middle schoolers, high schoolers, college students, people who just graduated from college. Although by the grace of God, my two teenagers um, have a strong faith in Jesus, they themselves report being very suspicious of other Christians, uh, even other Anglicans, anyone outside of our congregation who they don't know personally. Um, and they are PKs, so we can forgive them some of this, but actually the statistics show that 52% of religiously affiliated Gen Z um, people, like anyone who's part of some kind of religion, say that they have no trust in religious institutions. In the estimation of my children, lots of grown-up Christians don't really live like Jesus. They talk about the global church, they care about it, they kind of relate to the persecuted church because they've experienced some of that just at school. Yet when the sense of joy and just sort of innate trust in other Christians that I remember having as, as a young person, meeting someone who's maybe from the Assemblies of God or the Catholic Church or an Episcopalian, I wasn't when I was growing up, and thinking, they know Jesus and I know Jesus. That is not there for my kids. They don't have that. Meanwhile, my children's friends often have no direct experience with Christianity. They're not necessarily aggressive against it, but they often assume that being a Christian just means kind of being out of touch, anti-scientific, racist, homophobic, which since 60% of female um, Gen Zers identify as LGBTQ, it's, it's a big deal to think that's what Christians are. To complicate matters, many Gen Zers suffer from serious anxiety and loneliness. Though they are extremely connected to the world through their phones, they lack deep personal relationships. My kids often come to me puzzled about why this friend or that friend stopped texting back or didn't um, talk to them at school. And almost always we learn eventually that that person was really struggling with a bout of anxiety and depression. Especially in the aftermath of the pandemic, these young people have little trust in the reliability of almost any aspect of life. Whether it's, there's, whether it's the question of will there be school tomorrow or will that friend I just made still talk to me next week? The need of this generation for the hope of Christ is palpable. Yet the church with its fraught reputation and defensive stance seems increasingly unable to provide the authentic connections um, and demonstration of the gospel that these people need. Well, that's the bad news. Yet the potential for this for spiritual reviver, revival is shimmering in the darkness. A recent study from the Springtide Institute reports that 34% of Gen Zers who say that they have absolutely no religious affiliation, um, of that 34%, 19% say that they attend some kind of religious service at least once a month. I don't know how it is at All Souls, but that is definitely true at, at my parish. 74 percent of the young people who are either going to our church or coming to our youth group have no church background. Their parents don't go to church. No one brings them. It's usually me. <laughs> but, but they are searching for something to believe in. Springtide says that 60 percent of unaffiliated Gen Zers see themselves as at least slightly spiritual, and 20 percent are trying to live out their religious convictions, even though they're not quite sure what they believe. There's a hunger for a spiritual life in this generation. 
Gen Zers tend to go to their phones to figure out big spiritual questions. And they've even made up some religions on like Reddit. And uh, some of it's ironic, but some of it's genuine. Like there's a group that worships a gorilla um, that died in a zoo. And there's a group that worships a comic book hero. Um, and, and, and they actually do ceremonies. And, and the older ones, I think it's ironic, but the younger ones, they, they believe it. Though they have a lot of fears, and according to studies, a slower maturity rate, Generation Z has enormous potential and passion um, to, to impact the world for the gospel. They're deeply empathetic. They care. They get involved in causes. They care about people, even people that are different than them, different races, things going on across the world. And they're mo they, they mobilize to, to, to do things. They also interact with people from many different cultures, not always face-to-face, because that's what they're lacking, but they're, in the, they're, they're sort of reading the diary entries through YouTube and TikTok of people all over the world in almost every culture. Imagine what the Lord could do through a group of people who have that kind of awareness of every tongue and tribe and nation. They just need someone to help them meet the risen Jesus. They just need to hear the, go the good news. Considering how us older Christians might help the next generations encounter Jesus, I find myself thinking back to a youth movement that bubbled up in the midst of that similarly disillusioned generation back in the early 13th century. At that moment in church history, one young man's encounter with God not only started a revival in his region and across his generation, but it spurred an international missions movement, ultimately changing the trajectory of Western Christianity for generations. Today we know him as St. Francis, that statue in your Catholic grandmother's backyard with the funny bird on his monkish head. But uh, the life of St. Francis did not begin in the backyard or in a garden. Francis grew up um, in Umbria, in, in Italy, um, the son of a wealthy merchant. And um, by all accounts, he was like his version of a TikTok star. He was a troubadour, and he was really good at making lots of connections with lots of people and writing pithy little songs, um, but didn't really have any close relationships, kind of went through people quickly. And he was sort of lost and wasn't sure what life was all about. After a demoralizing attempt to, at military life, Francis began to have a series of visions that led him to start praying for God's direction and purification. For Francis, religious awakening didn't happen in the church or even in community. It happened as he gave up on what he thought constituted European Christianity and began to search for God in his own soul. Eventually, the Lord gave Francis a vision of Jesus on the cross, and this vision filled his soul with a profound humility and love for God. Suddenly, like many mystics before and after, Francis felt intimately connected to all of creation. Every person and animal and rock and the sun and the moon and the stars were as his brothers and sisters. Rather than withdraw to one of the many established monasteries all around, Francis started spending his time with the sick and the poor, constantly giving away all that he had to lepers. One day, while Francis was out meditating in, the, in a field, he came upon a small dilapidated church called San Damiano. As far as his biographers reveal, this was the first church-based spiritual experience 
that Francis had after his encounter with Christ. While praying before a crucifix inside the church, Francis heard with his bodily ears a voice coming from the cross, telling him three times, Francis, go and repair my house, which, as you can see, is falling completely into ruin. Taking this injunction literally, Francis immediately went to a nearby town, sold his horse and his clothing, and came back to San Damiano to offer the money to the church's priest. Noticing the passion of Francis, the priest allowed the young man to stay with him, but he didn't take his money because, like any wise priest, he figured that when a teenager hands you a large sum of money, it's probably not his to give. When, when Francis's father heard about what had happened, he was really, really angry. After some violent and abusive episodes did not change Francis's mind, his father dragged him before the bishop of their little town of Assisi and demanded that Francis stop giving away his possessions and renounce his inheritance. Filled with passion and humility, Francis readily complied. Famously, he stripped off all his clothes so that he stood completely naked before the gathered town. He then handed his clothing to his father and declared, until now I have called you father on earth, but now I say without reservation, our father in heaven. And moved to tears, the bishop threw his own ornate cloak over the naked shoulders of Francis and covered him. Eventually he was given a beggar's cloak and from then on Francis attempted to live a life like that of Christ, begging for what he needed, spending his time with the poor, and the needy and preaching the gospel to whomever would listen. In the years that followed, thousands of young people joined Francis in his commitment to know Christ crucified. Eventually, he traveled to see Pope Innocent III and asked for a blessing on his way of life. And at first, the Pope resisted, supposing that what Francis set out to do was not humanly possible. But then a spiritually minded cardinal uh, came to the Pope and said, if the church cannot bless the desire of someone to live like Christ, then the entire Christian message is in question. The result was a way forward for Christianity in the early 13th century. Francis's deep embrace of all of creation and his longing to share the gospel of peace with every person in every nation inspired generations of servants and of missionaries Though throughout the following centuries of colonialism, Franciscan missionaries often contended and sometimes gave in to more worldly voices in the church, the vision that Francis laid down of suffering for Jesus, carrying the cross, and seeing in every person a brother or sister paved the way for the global Christian movement. And it all began with one lost young person experiencing the crucified and risen Christ. Well, there's so much that I could say and that others have super interestingly said about the links between St. Francis and our own cultural mo moment. Things like embracing the goodness of creation might speak volumes to a generation that's anxious about climate change. Or things like voluntary poverty could be a major answer for youth trapped on their phones. But I'd like to focus on just two mission-growing examples that us old folks could apply. First of all, the young Francis encountered Jesus apart from the church. At a time when the church is experiencing an especially, is, 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 is having an especially difficult time 
connecting to the young people of our culture, it's really important to remember that the Holy Spirit is still at work, calling people to himself. Our youth group at Tree of Life is a mix of teens who show up on Sunday morning, most without their parents, and teens who just show up to youth group because they're sort of interested in spiritual things and really want pizza. They're the children of immigrants. They're the kids who live in government housing. They're suburban kids whose parents may actually have a car and drive them to church. But they all, without, but they all um, have these reports of religious experiences, no matter what, where they are in society. Especially coming back from the pandemic, I've been amazed at the kinds of questions that we're getting at youth group. Spiritual questioning and even anguish does not happen in a vacuum. The Lord has been there with them through this difficult time, and the Lord is still there. We in the church need to be praying for the young people who seem out of reach. We need to be listening when we get a chance to talk to them for hints that they are actually hearing the still small voice of God in their lives. There's no place on earth or even in the metaverse where we can escape the Holy Spirit, amen? Jesus went and preached to the captives in hell. He can deal with people stuck on TikTok. But when we do have opportunities to speak with youth, we should take a cue from the life of St. Francis and point them towards the reality of what they're really searching for, the new life found in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Every person needs an encounter with the risen Christ. Paul tells us that it's the belief that God raised up Jesus from the dead that saves us. It's the person of Christ that transforms faint spirits into the mantle of praise. Our job is to present the good news, even among this complex, ironic Generation Z. The Holy Spirit will do the rest. Second, Francis's ability to share his experience so widely and help revive his generation succeeded in part because members of the established church blessed his vision. There were other movements around the same time as Francis that shared many of the same ideals. For example, the proto-Protestant group called the Waldensians. But all of these movements were rejected by the established church. Rather than find a way to build bridges or to reconcile or collaborate, the church jettisoned these movements to everyone's peril. However, by God's grace, Francis found a covering in the church. That priest in San Damiano welcomed in this, the ideal, idyllic young Francis who wanted to rebuild a church all by himself. The bishop wrapped his stately cloak around the naked shoulders of a man who was throwing off his unjust privilege and, and his upbringing. And even the hierarchy found some kind of a way to affirm the ideals of the Franciscan movement. We in the 21st century church may not always understand the complex lives of, the, of teens and young adults, but by the grace of God, we can find ways to encourage them and to make space for them in our own lives. If millennials are the burnout generation because we work too much, Generation Z is the isolated generation because their parents work too much. This generation is hungry for high quality, authentic relationships and holistic approaches to life. One of the best things older adults can do for the very young is just make time for them. Whether it's your grandchildren or your children, your students, or just that awkward kid trying to text his mom while he's bagging your groceries, 
they need you. This fall, I had the opportunity uh, to take a sabbatical. And one of the unexpected consequences of sabbatical life is that I wasn't busy on Saturdays. And so on Saturday morning, my, I would get to make bre uh, breakfast for my daughter and whatever kid was spending the night with her. And sitting down around noon over waffles with my daughter and her friends, uh, I was surprised to find myself brought into all kinds of significant conversations. We talked about everything from body image to human sexuality to friendship. And we talked about the Lord. And I began to wonder how many of these moments I had missed when I was busy running around getting church ready on Saturday because all throughout the week I never said no to anything and did everything anyone asked me to do. And so Saturday, you're throwing church together. Generation Z doesn't need a lot of information and expertise. Sure, eventually they, like all of us, need discipleship. But the thing that they need the most is for the adults around them to stop what they're doing and just be with them. They don't just need invitations to church, though I've found if you invite them, they'll often come because they really need attention. But they actually need the, us to be the church for them, to demonstrate the body of Christ in their own lives. And that may often look like sitting around and making waffles. Friends, Jesus said that as the Father sent him, so he is sending us. The Lord will fulfill his mission. Here in North America, the harvest is plentiful. But if we in our overly busy, isolated lives, um, but, but to we in our overly busy, isolated lives, it seems like the workers are few. And yet the Lord is working among us. So on this World Mission Sunday, I ask you, how might the Lord, the Lord be calling you to get involved in his plan for the spiritual renewal of the next generation? Because besides supporting indigenous missionaries in other places in the world, the North American church's best hope for mobilizing missions is in, um, in, the, in the future is to start giving our time and our lives to the young people among us. So put down your work, close your computer, and make some waffles and see what God will do. Amen. Amen.